Hi, this is Anthony P. Ferrante, director of the Sharknado Quadrilogy, and you're listening to uh, Without Your Head. Station of Decapitation Without Your Head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by director Daniel Lusco. Hi. And production designer Stacy Lusco for Ape vs. Monster, which is out now on video on demand on Amazon. And uh, where else can you get it? Pretty much. Yeah, you can get it on Redbox. You can get it on Fandango now. I appreciate sure you get it on Voodoo, Roku, you know, pretty much all on demand streaming platforms. Yeah. Um, before I actually go into the movie about that, um, um, how is, how has that changed over the years, you know, with the, with the rise of the streaming sites and, and less, you know, physical media? Uh, well, you know what, that's a great question. It's, it's not changed significantly for me in terms of filmmaking. I think that, um, David Fincher is right when he says that a movie changes, uh, in terms of your perception as it trickles out into other platforms so when you think of Blockbuster, for example, or a theatrical release, um, you are thinking of a movie differently. So when it's all going out at the same time to people, um, it does, definitely changes, I think, the way the, the immediacy of it as a filmmaker. Certainly when you're making an asylum movie, one thing that I discussed with our director of photographer, Marcus, uh, Marcus Friedlander, was it's very exciting because you know that it's going to get a good, solid release. And, um, and even though, uh, yeah, there's not always a physical copy, um, it's going to be everywhere. And, and that's very exciting. So uh, I think for a low-budget filmmaker, it's actually more exciting uh, because let's say we were making these teeny ultra-low-budget movies. 
10, 20 years ago, um, it'd be much, much harder to get it into a, a blockbuster, say, for example, or a DVD store. Uh, still hard, though, I think, uh, to get it into some of the like DVD places like Target, for example, or Best Buy. But we still had good success getting them in those places for the DVD releases and even on um, certain occasions, theatrical releases. But I, I think it just changes um, how the immediacy of the release, you know, is perceived. So, you know, when you're making it that, that week, it's, it's going to, within a few months, be everywhere, you know? Uh, More opportunity for low-budget filmmakers, I think, than anything else. Yeah. You said they're a tiny budget, and I noticed right away when I started watching Eight Verse Monster, not just because you're here, it actually has a much more pr production value, higher production value than a lot of uh, uh, movies. So cool to hear. I love Well, that's that. really that's great. A lot of that's due you. to uh, the credit of her team uh, as the production designer uh, and her art director and the set dressers, some of which were interns, and she can address that, who really were innovative in creating a lot of these set pieces that were there was a very, very limited budget for. Mm -hmm. huh? Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting reading the script and thinking, and I can just be honest, there were tears shed looking at the script because I kept thinking, how are we going to do this? You know, you look at the numbers and you want to deliver something that's kind of Daniel's heart and it passes down to everybody else, but of delivering above and beyond what you would expect. And we had one of our first crew meetings and we're sitting there and we're, I'd gotten quotes that that capsule was going to be $10,000 to create. And I'm thinking we've got like a couple hundred to pull this thing off. Right. How are we going to do this? You know? <clears throat> and then that just, attitude shift of we're just going to build it we're going to build it ourselves i have no idea how we're going to do this we're going to build it ourselves and thankfully um our art director had connections and people that were able to help weld and put this thing together and it's so satisfying then really to get that feedback from people like yourself that that see it and understand that it was a way above and beyond anything we had in terms of dollars but it's when you bring heart and passion and belief that suddenly you've got something you're really proud of. And I think all of that type of work <laughs> that she's talking about building this capsule and we had interns burning it on the day of production, it really trickles into the VFX department because when they can see that you've done everything that you possibly can to, in terms of the physical effects and production, they go a step further, I think, as well. I think yeah. it's inspiring to the VFX department and, and I feel like it shows a little bit. Yeah. So how did you get involved in the movie to begin with? Oh me, yeah. Uh, well, I've uh, I've worked with the executive producers on several films uh, with the Asylum. They're great producers. Um, you know, we've worked over ten years together on you know five different movies. I think at least um, from thrillers to this action adventure to um, you know even a romantic comedy we just finished. Um, so Asylum uh, that, that's romantic comedy because I, I I think a lot of people that? think of it. <laughs> yeah, was a. Uh, are they also from the asylum, the, uh, the romantic yeah. comedies? Uh, yeah, well, they actually, uh, you'd be surprised, they, well, they are a production service company. So they work uh, with a ma major networks uh, like Lifetime, Hallmark, um, other groups. So uh, even major studios, Netflix, Universal. So for stuff like that, yeah, like romantic comedy it may not come out as an asylum movie, right. but they, they have a lot of versatility with their capabilities. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. What kind of movies are, are you yourself interested in? Like when you wanted to become a filmmaker, what, what's like the genre of uh, films that you like? Well, here's what I can say. Uh, you know, that I was just asked this question recently. I, uh, I liked period films uh, when I was a little kid and I loved, you know, action and, and I loved creating these big effects and fire and, and even blood. You know, I remember one of the first movies I made with a friend was an homage to last of the Mohicans. And, you know, we, we were so fascinated with this, with this scene where the heart gets ripped out, might enjoy that. And so we create, you know, we little 14 year old kids, we created a prosthetic heart and, you know, put the blood all over it. And they had the guy, in Last Little Hekins, tied to a stake at our friend's house. We built a moat with gasoline and he rips his heart out and takes a bite. And we were like, yeah, you know, we created the movie and mom's come out and she's like, you almost killed my son, you know, like, because he almost got lit on fire. Yeah. Um, he didn't get lit on fire, but we, we were felt successful as filmmakers because we were always after that that production value. What can we do to raise the level up? You know, we had actually used real machetes we bought from the hardware store. And only later did we really realize that we could have killed each other with these machetes. <laughs> we like, when we looked at the dents between them, you know, but we, we had that no limitation attitude and thankfully nobody ever got hurt. So, so for me, it wasn't really about a genre as it was like immersing myself as an actor as well. Cause I love to act as well as direct just, totally immersing myself in the fabric of the story and becoming whatever I had to become to make it come to life. So like with this movie, you know, she would tell you like we're on set and there's like the, the huge monster creeping up on the capsule. And there's the, there's the guy, the soldier who's like inspecting oh, the he's capsule. Hilarious. One of my favorite parts is when he's doing like the off, <laughs> off-camera script feedback to get his actors into character. It's hilarious. Yeah, it was like, the the now it actually didn't make the cut because they they had to get a better quality uh, voiceover recording. But when McDaniel's expecting the caps, I'm like, I just was having fun with him, you know, like, Hey, McDaniel's getting a little comfortable in there. You know, you, you kind of, you know, don't get too comfortable. And then all of a sudden the monster creeps up and I like become the monster. So I'm running over there like, (laughs) you know, like, and I just, I love doing whatever I needed to do to sort of create a moment. And that's what made it, made it fun for me. So it was creating those moments. And, uh, and there's a lot of opportunity for that with a movie like this when there's, when there's not much money. And, and there's a lot of passion and heart. Um, and you know what? That's, that's, that's not like a, a knock, I don't think. I think that like the budget, there wasn't much money. Okay. So we had people working on our movie. Yeah. Who, who come off of the big Netflix productions, 125 million. You know what they tell you is they tell you it feels exactly the same. There's never enough money for anything. Right. It's like you have $125 million. There's no money for that. You know, you have to figure it out. And mm-hmm. so it's just obvious that you have to do that or you won't be able to make the movie. And that's okay with me. Yeah. So, so we have to create everything and we have to be innovative. Well, and I think if I could go back to your question of what is his favorite genre, I think the versatility that's really neat about Daniel is because he's so capable of just throwing himself into a storyline, he can actually, like watching him direct this rom-com that we just got done with, coming off of Eight versus Monster and having done an Air Force movie last year, it really is a testimony of his versatility to take what's necessary to bring that story to life. And so like, I'm kind of interested in your question too, of what his favorite genre would be, but I think it's more (laughs) from him. He just loves a good story. 
And whatever it's going to take to bring that story to life is what's going to happen. Like people say I'm funny. I'm not saying I'm funny, but I, I, I find that like, that I love comedy even in an action movie. I like to look for the comedy in an action movie because otherwise I get bored. You know, I want to find the, the things that are odd or between the lines about it and um the hate versus monster actually the executive producer of the asylum or like mr lat i call i i refer to them always in misters because i have a lot of respect for them and so mr lat was like couldn't believe that uh i resonated with the script because i'd never done a monster movie before but that's what i liked about it i was like i've never done anything like this before so when you read something like how are we going to put this together like my favorite filmmakers I feel like they are always like, they look at a script and they have no idea how they're going to do it. And I think that's where I want to start. So like, we're looking at the possibility of doing a Western after this, you know, and I couldn't be more excited because I've never done a Western before. Uh, I had never done a wedding movie, which we just did. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, we actually pulled this off. Like that was pretty cool. So my favorite genre is probably just a genre I've never done before. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Stacy, kind of the same question, you know, uh, being the production designer for all the different uh, genres of movies. Uh, uh, what is that like to go from, you know, ape versus monster to uh, maybe a Western in the future or a comedy? Well, like personally, my absolute favorite genre, I will just unabashedly admit is a historical drama. So it's been fantastic to step into these, which I know is completely not your audience. But I think that the heart of that is to be able to say, this is a great story and follow that lead to then take it and say, okay, how are we going to make this happen? And it stretches the imagination. Really, that's what unites us all as viewers, whatever our favorite genre is is that we can throw ourselves into the world of imagination and for a couple of hours, lose ourselves to the storyline. And so to be able to have the opportunity and the privilege to what I call really the visual character, to have an opportunity to create that and deliver on it and feel stretched in 8 million directions, but then at the end, see it come to life is so incredibly satisfying. And so as we talk about all these different opportunities, now with having seen the areas that we've gone into, it's just exciting because again, it's just another place to grow and create and develop something. And, and really the truth of it is the people that we get the opportunity to work with because you yeah. can't do it without an incredible team of people. And, oh, yeah. and that's what always amazes me is, is the people that will come out of the woodwork work together, commit themselves to something. And at the end, you just look around and you feel so satisfied because you, it's really the essence of teamwork. So well, it's incredible. And on, on that note, talking about people, like our stunt coordinator, we're like, well, we have to have a bottom half of a body that's ripped off by the monster. We have to have only that bottom half. And automatically Gary, who is awesome, uh, he's like, oh, well, I can do that. I can, I can take, get the lower half of his stud pants and I can fill them with something. Then I can sear the top of them and then I can do all of that. And he just, I was like, well, how much money do you need for that? He's like, oh, don't, you know, don't worry. I, like, I can figure it out, right? He wanted to do it. He had a genuine desire to help tell the story because he knows if we don't have that, it's not as much of an experience. So I think the teamwork, I think as more movies have made, it's really almost entirely about the people around you, you know, and, yeah. and the team that you have to do it. Yeah. Huge appreciation yeah. for that. When you said earlier about, you know, you're kind of run around as the, mo as a monster, uh, you know, um, I think a lot of people ask, 
actors what it's like to work um, with like a, a movie with a lot of digital effects. What's it like to direct a movie that has a lot, a lot of digital mm-hmm. effects? That, that is a great question. I think at first it was a little bit intimidating uh, because we're, we're dealing with the, the effects supervisor and asking him a lot of questions about, you know, the scaling of these creatures that was a little tricky because they're growing throughout the movie, you know, and, um, and I, I just like, asking a lot of questions to the VFX guys. I think that really helped uh, Glenn, who's the, the head of the VFX department, uh, you know, just what, what do we really need to do? We need these poles. We need the scaling of the monsters and how, and the main thing that really I got clarity on was the more specific that we can be about, the movements that we're creating and the way the actors need to be reacting, the more helpful it is for the VFX department um, when it comes down to um, the, the creation of them. So, uh, One so of the things that you mm-hmm. said though, too, that I loved, he said so many times I heard him say it in pre-production and on set is I want you to sell this. I want you to make it so believable. And that, one line to everybody over and over, whether it's crew or cast, I thought was such brilliant directing because when you have that many VFX and you're out there shooting it, you have to get your cast to sell that these things really exist. Or by the time they layer in the VFX, you didn't sell the story. And I thought that was such a great thing that that you were telling people. I hope that some people uh, pick that up with the movie because what, what really was relentless about if we don't believe it, nobody else is going to believe it. And yeah. so uh, I, I felt that a lot of people really did rally for that uh, because that I think that's probably maybe the biggest role as a director because truth be told, there was a lot of planning I put into storyboarding every single you know shot that is pretty routine for directors, right? There, there's a process that goes on. In fact, with such a good DP, the movie could probably even be made if, if I, you know, went out of commission, it could still go on and be done. One of the things I feel like I contribute the most is that I suspend my disbelief like mm-hmm. a kid and fully invest myself into believing this monster is real so that hopefully on a subatomic level with the other actors and the crew, they feel that emotionally and they go, okay, we can't just phone this in. We have to like, believe this thing is chasing us that's coming after us Mm -hmm. and i give myself over to it completely just unabashedly and it's and it and so if i feel like somebody's faking something i get really passionate because you know this is an opportunity it's a privilege and i and i want to believe these monsters are real and i want to believe they're battling you know so that's what i that's what i where i feel like i really uh you know um do something that's that's contributing to the end experience is my belief into the movie, into the fabric of the story. And I, and I did feel that that it translated in this case, people bought into it. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, even my notes was right. Uh, the ape Abraham, like he emotes very well in the movie. Like you could, you know, they're trying to put across. He has emotion kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. that's one of the best parts of the the different King Kong movies, I think, but I thought it was done well in ape versus monster. That's something we actually talked. Thank you for saying that because that's something we actually talked about with the VFX team that I felt was pretty important is she's supposed to have a relationship. Mm-hmm. And the actress actually, Ariana Scott, mm-hmm. did, did a really good job of investing herself into believing that that relationship was, was real, you know, and that was pretty cool. You know, we had some good moments 
um, with that. You know, I, I'm really, I really, you know, speaking of, you know, all the guts and horror and all that sort of thing, she found this awesome location, um, this laboratory, and inside the laboratory, they had, you know, all these different animal organs and eyeballs and everything like that, which was really cool to film all these laboratory sequences, all those real organs and tissue around us. I felt like it it brought the energy into that place of this isn't, there's no BS here. Like, like we really, when they were evaluating and stuff, it just sort of gets into your DNA. Yeah. When you're looking at that stuff and you're around it. How do you go about cool. finding a place like that? You know, besides my basement. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Should we call it to you first, I guess. Yeah. Next time. Um, yeah. Finding locations for this was interesting because we had so many locations to find. And for sh- such a short amount of time, it was really, it's a lot of phone calls, a lot of driving around. And a lot of phone calls and a lot of phone calls and some more driving around. That's really what it boils down to, just hitting the pavement. After casting, I mean, <clears throat> locations for something like this, it's it's like the other 10%. They say casting is like 90% of a movie. I would say if that's true, and I don't know that it is. Uh, the rest is is primarily locations. And then the other small percent is actually setting sail with the ship and actually making the movie. Well, yeah. and to that point, we had what I thought was like the creme de la creme of a laboratory that was going to be amazing. It had this really interesting contraption that they yeah. use for environmental studies that I thought, oh, that'll be perfect for Abraham's table. And we'll be able to film it from all sides. And then like a week before production, one of the employees at this lab got COVID and they had to pull the plug and they were like, nope, we're just, you know, everybody responds differently to COVID. They were like, we're shutting down for as long as it takes. And that sends a panic, to be honest with you. And so it's, it goes back to what he's talking about with belief of just like, okay, we're going to find something and it's going to be better. And really the laboratory that we ended up in was so much more dynamic. It wasn't as high tech, clean, white, sterile, Mm -hmm. but it was so much more interesting and had that really moody feel that it was phenomenal. And And they had a very generous attitude, the location. They brought in monitors and they brought in the microscopes and they, they were just had that giving attitude. And I think when you're making a low budget movie, you really rely upon that attitude when you go to find the want people that are like, oh yeah, we want you not just transactional, yeah. you know, but they really have a love for cinema that they want this thing to to work. Yeah. And that that's priceless. Yeah. Now um I just interviewed the director of Aquarium um Aquarium of the Dead for um for the asylum and they had a premiere. Did you guys have a, a premiere? We didn't have a premiere for this. We're still actually looking into options for a screening, uh, but it didn't work out for us to have a premiere. But I think the Aquarium of the Dead, that actually, uh, that actually is theatrical, isn't it? That's what I heard. Yeah, yeah. They just, yeah. I think it, they just recently had the premiere. That's awesome. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah, we, we do theater screenings for a lot of these, but... You know, New Mexico, where we're at, was a little slow opening back up the yeah. theater. So when we were planning this, we we none of the theaters were open. So they just they just recently opened well yeah, after the release. So here, yeah, they just, yeah, they just opened here too in Massachusetts, just like yeah. last week. So yeah, it was exciting. Oh, wow. oh my gosh, wow. just to go back into a movie theater and yeah. see a movie, we were like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went like, to see A Quiet Place too recently. Yeah. So. Oh nice. How was that? Oh, I loved it. I loved the first one, and I thought the second one was great, too. First one was awesome. Awesome. You remember the last so, movie you went to see before the uh, before they shut down? 
What was the last movie? The we last saw? movie we saw. Last one I remember was like that I remember, though it may not have been, was the um, Ad Astra, the bread. I remember seeing that before, but I don't uh, remember if that was the last one. Because I mean, it's been over it's a been year. so long. Yeah. yeah. I remember mine because it was King Kong. They, they were released the original King Kong at theaters, and we went to see it like right oh, before nice. things closed. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, my favorite horror film ever made, if I could say, I'd like to ask you yours. What is your favorite horror film ever made? Um, If I had to just pick one, it's probably the original Frankenstein. Uh, Okay. I like Psycho a lot. And uh, do you you count The Shining as a horror film? Yeah, definitely. Shining's that'd be mine, bar none. I'm a I'm a Kubrick fan, so I love The Shining. Great movie. That's a great movie too. Yeah, definitely. Incredible. Yeah, I'd also have to put the cre- creep show in there because it's the first VHS tape my mom bought me, so it holds a special uh, place. Oh, that's very sentimental. I have it on the <laughs> shelf here. The VHS tape is worn out and doesn't work anymore, but it's a cool uh, clamshell case. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that is really cool. Uh, Stacy, do you have a favorite horror movie? No. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I don't even have something that I could like try to pass off. I'm so easily scared uh-huh. that I just when I yeah no. Well, we she may not say this, but I think if it's not really a horror film, but it's more a thriller we made together called Agoraphobia. Yeah, that was uh, which a lot of fun. she she enjoyed doing that a lot. It was a, just a short film that we made during the lockdown. Yeah. Uh, that was a oh, lot nice. of fun. I saw yeah. it on your MDB, but I didn't realize you made it during the lockdown. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, we did. It was it was a lot of fun. It, it was definitely a, a a little bit of a throwback for me to some of the scenes in The Shining and a lot of Kubrick's work. But we made that thing on a on a very low budget, and it was crowdfunded. Uh, so that was pretty fun. We had investors all over the world uh, helping us put that thing together and giving us a movie to make really right, something to do uh, something to do and a lot of people throwing in locations but there was there's cannibals chasing after uh that have basically taken over the whole world yeah. and um and they're spreading this virus and billions of people have already died and there's this one guy and he gets a radio signal on um a cure and he goes out against the cannibals fighting for his life and uh so i played that guy and she played the the uh, the counterpart who's sending out the radio signal. She's actually quite good. She did the production design as well. So okay. that might be the closest thing to a horror yeah. film. That and I knew you were going to ask me that, and so yeah. I was even trying to think: is there anything I could say that I could pass off? And, no, well, there just, are cannibals in. Well, there are. Yeah. So Can can people check that out anywhere? Agoraphobia. Yeah, actually, they can just YouTube Agoraphobia, Daniel Lusco. That's probably the easiest. It was a seven minute short film. Original score, Silence. actually, by the asylum composer, Chris mm-hmm. Reidenhauer. Chris Reidenhauer, uh, com- and he did a beautiful it's, score. Yeah, it's, it's a silent film. So it's only Chris Reidenhauer's music. Yeah. Uh, and he's he's the secret weapon of the asylum, in case you didn't know, or one of them. One of them. There's many yeah. secret weapons in the asylum. He but did uh, he did a great score on that. And uh, he donated it as well. Awesome. I'll have to check that out. So uh, Ape yeah. versus Monster, available now on Amazon and, and Redbox and Video on Demand, wherever you get your video on demand. And uh, this was very fun to talk with both of you. It was very fun to talk with you as well. It's such a great privilege. Yes, we really appreciate you. it. We had a good time.
and can people follow you anywhere? Not your homes, but you know where. Oh, yeah. not yeah. your yeah. homes. We appreciate that. We live at five four three. <laughs> no, um, yeah, they can follow us on Instagram. Stacy uh, Lusco, Daniel Lusco on Instagram, Facebook. Same thing. There's a there's a Daniel Lusco fan page. Also, that's probably the easiest way to find. Us plus um, also have another movie fan page for, mm-hmm. called Persecuted, yeah. um, which is a pretty big page. We post a lot of Facebook Live stuff as well. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Cool. Thanks for doing this. Yep. Yeah. It's so nice to meet you. Thanks you so well. much. Take care. Enjoy. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. From ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. Ripley, we should have listened. Sitting here on a lie. Well you tiny. Now we're gonna die. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming at night. Hopefully, they're coming at night. Hopefully, they're coming at night. Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming at night.